Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast, where we are releasing daily episodes Monday through Friday. Conversations with people that are in love with this job. We talk about the highs and the lows and everything in between, but if you're here listening and part of the National Fire Radio community and you're checking out this podcast, whether it's your first episode or you're all the way in on a hundred and something episodes by now and you're bought into it, we appreciate you. We appreciate you being part of the community and constantly coming back and listening to the podcast. Welcome. Enjoy the word. And for us to be able to do this and deliver this to you every day, we need the help of some sponsors. And these sponsors are partners where we do collaboration work and they allow us to put forth great content with great guests so that we can keep pushing this job forward. So before we hop into the episode, a quick word from some of our sponsors. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and her crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017, over 200,000 plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500 piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts. Pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com. And if you do order, use this promo code NFR sent me, all one word, NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey everyone, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be a lot of fun. This is a this is a guy that I have uh, I haven't really spoken to much, but a lot of different people in our circles know him and consider him a dear friend and sounding board for themselves. And so for me, that piques my interest because if I don't know him, I want to get to know him. And I think that that's the one thing in the fire service that's a lot of fun. We all run in our circles and our circles tend to overlap other circles. And it's that overlap is where you make new friends, new comrades, new brothers, and, uh, and you get to meet new people. And so with this podcast, that is what this is all about. So today I have Stephen Gillespie, a little background on Steve, 39 years in the American Fire Service, 22 years with the FDNY, retired as a lieutenant at a 43 engine. Prior to that, he was a firefighter in Squad 41. After retirement from the FDNY, he ran south to the North Charleston, South Carolina Fire Department. He was the training captain there for many years, and he recently retired out of North Charleston. And he now travels and talks about the job, explains why the job is so good, and he brings a lot with him through his career. Steve, thank you very much for joining me today, brother. Oh, thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is cool, man. You are one of those guys that's been on my radar a long time. I just never had the opportunity to meet you. And what's a lot of fun about this is we have so many mutual friends. And um, and so I don't know if you and I keep the same bad company or we keep good company, but <laughs> it's the same It's the same guys, right? And um, oh, I, I think that's a lot of fun. It's like, two, it's like uh, you know, the world is six degrees of separation. Yeah. The fire service is two degrees. Yeah. You know, it, I know, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows you. Yeah, and, you know, what's fun about that, though, is that, you know, we all come through as the same type of people, and so there's an immediate trust 
and fascination yeah. with one another. We're not, you know, there's not a lot of guard put up when you have a lot of like-minded friends vouching for a guy or talking about his reputation or how he carries himself. I believe it right away. People that I respect speak highly of different people. I respect them too, right off the bat. Uh, Mickey Farrell didn't say too many nice things about you though. So I don't um, that guy, uh, Jesus, let me, t- <laughs> let me tell you something, man. I, um, he's one of my favorite. I say this all the time on the podcast, favorite people, favorite people. He's yeah. one of my favorite people. I think what the way, how eloquent he is with his, with his content and how he, uh, puts himself out there and educates. He educates, educates, educates. He's super smart. And uh, I'm very proud to call him a dear friend. And I think he's got a, a, a lot to give back to this fire service. I'm excited to see where he is in 10 years, let alone 20. I, I never realized he was that smart. You know? Yeah. Well, a lot of guys say that too, you know, <laughs> he is, he's, he's good looking, but I didn't realize he was that smart. But, he's, he's you know, a, I've known Mikey for, I've, yeah. I've, with, Mickey, I had a I had a nickname for him. I won't sure. embarrass him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it's really good to see guys that younger guys that you worked with early in your career sure. doing so well in what it is that they love doing. So that's fun. I'm glad. I'm glad that's a mutual contact for both of us because uh, when we were chatting, we mentioned a couple other people and so on. But what's fun too is like you're a New Jersey guy, also, right? Before we hop I, into I all am. this stuff. You, I mean, you literally, when you, when you were growing up, you were 20 minutes away from where I live and we both attended the same fire academy, both got our basic firemanship out of the same fire academy. Yeah. And, and was, uh, at the time growing up again, I'm a little older than you. Um, but my dad was a volunteer fireman, uh, forever. So that's how, you know, I grew up in a firehouse, you know, like you did. And I was so close to New York City yeah. um, dur- during the war years that, you know, my dad would have the old scanner with the crystals in it. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'd hear a job come in in the Bronx. And, uh, you know, I would just go buff jobs all the time with him. Uh, you know, it was it, it would only take us a couple minutes to get there because we were so close to the George Washington Bridge. So well, That's it. And a lot of people, you know, people probably don't understand. But, like, you know, the only thing that separates New York City, Manhattan, and the Bronx is, is the Hudson River. And the we Hudson are... River where we live, we are just on the other side of the river, basically. And where you grew up, you were literally right on the river almost. So you could see the skyline probably right out your front door and you could see those headers up all the time. Sure. I love that. So then what is that? What is that? What got you to the city then was just that, you know, growing up in a firehouse, growing up with that passion, riding shotgun with your dad to go buff jobs during the warriors, things like that. Like, that just had to fuel you to want to be a New York City fireman. That's the only thing I've ever wanted to do, Jeremy. I can actually say that I lived my dream. Yeah. You know, cause ever since I was a little kid, all I can remember, you know, again, my dad was, you know, a volunteer for over 20 years. He was a chief twice in Ridgefield. And um, just growing up around it, you know, we had his best friend um, was a New York City firefighter. I got a cousin that's retired, but... You know, I used to hang out in the firehouses all the time, whether it was a volunteer house on Sunday, you know, which was kind of like the drill day or, you know, as I grew older, you know, going hanging out at a couple places in the Bronx. That's cool. So talk to me about those early days. What year then did you how old were you when you got hired and what year was that? I was uh, so I hate to admit this, but uh, I was a police officer for a couple of years. <laughs> Listen, that is so common, man. Like, that's just part of the conversation, I think. Well, you know what cops and firemen have in common? I can only they, imagine. They only wanted, they, they all wanted to be firemen growing up. They all wanted to be firemen, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry everybody's heard that one. 
but uh, yeah, I was a I was a cop in the town in Ridgefield for about seven and a half years, and I uh, April of '94 I got my letter for the New York City Fire Department, and then you know the rest is history. So, so, I mean, when you think about that, right, in 94, you made a commitment to become a police officer in the town you grew up in, which has to have some big impact to you, too, right? I mean, you're a community-based guy. You're a volunteer fireman in that community. Your father's there, right? So you have a lot of a lot of ties to your community. And I've seen this with a lot of other guys, especially in the volunteer fire service. <clears throat> they get hired as police officers within those municipalities where they volunteer as firemen. So you're entrenched in that community, but man, that New York City letter came in the mailbox and you were like, see ya. You're see seven, ya. seven and a half years in. You're making good money as a police officer in Bergen County, New Jersey. And, oh, then, yeah. and then you're like, yeah, I'm taking a massive pay cut and I'm going to do what I want to do. Massive pay cut. <laughs> But couldn't get the smile off my face, though. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that, right? So you make that decision. You come across. You go through the rock. You go through the process. What was your early years like? What was the, what was the the mid-90s like in, in the Bronx? Did you land in the Bronx right out of the academy? I did. I started out in 63 Engine, okay. which is up in the north end. And uh, at the time, um, 63 was a little bit slower. But I tell you, if anybody follows... Uh, follows any of the companies right now. 63 Engine is probably one of the busiest in the city. Nice. And, uh, and I tell you what, I used to listen to the scanner and the house watch, and I would hear all the companies in the South Bronx, 1075, 1075, and I'm like, I want to go work down there. You know, and yeah. I, I got the opportunity to go. Uh, it was Engine 4-1 at the time. Um, it was called Enhanced Engine 4-1, a little bit of the history. Yep. Uh, but they were doing some really cool stuff and going to fires, and uh, and that really intrigued me. I totally did not belong there. I didn't have, uh, I really didn't have enough experience to be there, but I stuck it out for a while, and I was able to learn a lot of great things from a lot of great guys. Yeah, and so it should be said, right, just for people that aren't familiar with, like, FDNY history, the enhanced engine 41 soon became squad 41, right? That was – Yeah. Can you just what talk – yeah. uh, yeah. What ahead. happened with – yeah. What happened in 1989, they closed engine 41. It was a single uh, a single engine company, um, and they, uh, they built another firehouse a little closer. So when they moved 71 and 55, uh, they closed engine 41 to budget cuts, Mayor Koch at the time. Uh, and then what wound up happening, the community really rallied together and they got it reopened and it was going to be a special unit, but all the, the court documents said engine 4-1. So it was pretty much doing the same things as it was squad one at the time, which was the only squad. Uh, but it was just called enhanced engine 4-1 because they needed to have the name engine 4-1. Yeah. And then in 1998, when they made the other five squad companies, that's when they officially changed the name. Got it. Squad 41. So, and it should be said too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way a squad company works in New York City is you are an engine company in your first due, but then typically act as a special service outside of your first due. Is that right? Yeah. First, second, and third due, engine boxes, and then anything above that, you go on a 1075, work and fire. Uh, they, they're hazmat technicians. They do all type of uh, technical rescue stuff. Pretty much the only thing they don't do is dive. Yeah. So, okay. so 95% of the time, if you're going to a... Uh, a job 1075 you're doing truck work so you had dual positions um you had an engine position and a squad position so it was it was very interesting 
to do both sides. Well, it's nice to keep the job spicy, right? I mean, it's not yeah. you're not always riding you're not always riding backup or control or nozzle because you, you, yeah. you might be hooking a roof or, or OV or something like that, right? So, I think it's really interesting. I'm kind of one of those New York City guys that, like, you know, from afar, I I, I know enough to be dangerous about knowledge of it, but I always <laughs> love talking to guys like you because you know this is where I learn, and and so you know, I it's an interesting model, and I have to think for yourself. You said you didn't belong there at first, right? And you learned yeah. a lot there, but why? Why did you feel that way? Uh, it was um, uh, it was a special unit at the time, and I it was, it was an opportunity that I had to go do something. I had to jump on. Yeah. You know, when I look when I look back at it, you know, um, I totally didn't belong there. Um, but the guys were they welcomed me into the company, and they were able to pass on their knowledge. And I think that's as the years went on, that's what made me want to pass on everything that I, I worked with some amazing guys, Jeremy. I sure. mean, you know, I worked when I first got there, there were still guys around from, you know, that worked in the seventies, yeah. you know, and they had a tremendous amount of experience. I, you know, I get, I, I say this not, not to brag, but just to show what kind of experience we had. My first night tour in 41, um, we went to six jobs <laughs> and worked and worked at four of them. And that's just, that's, <laughs> That was just 15 hours from six o'clock at night till nine in the morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. and what I was able to learn from those guys, I, I feel very strongly as I'm sure you do that. Um, if you don't pass along what's been passed to you, it's like a crime. You know, you can't, you can't hold it to yourself. We have to pass on this knowledge that from all these guys that came before us. I, uh, I can't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's what we national fire radios built on that foundation. Right. And that's why I value conversations and talking with guys from all over the job across the country is learning the stories of those that came before them and what influenced them. Because I'm thinking here, and the reason why I set you up with that question was why did you think you weren't, you know, you didn't belong there. You know, I don't think you would have been there if you didn't belong there. I think what in your own mind, you know, you had a lot to learn, but that's the place, that's the shop to learn. You had the heart and you had the drive and desire, and it just took now the job and the and the running to to get you to where you are. I mean, think if you think about the influence that 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 set the table for you and probably the rest of your career by making that move. No, I absolutely it, it did. I, you know, the amount of experience that sure. I got there was tremendous and. The people that I worked with, I mean, I, you know, I, probably 90% of the firemen I worked with went on to become officers in rescue and squad companies. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, uh, and, and if I was to mention all the guys that I worked with, it would it would take me forever, you know, but the people that I was able to work with, again, and they, uh, I'm all about accountability, you know, and they, and they held me accountable back then, and, you know, for guys that you looked up to and respected that much, you didn't want to disappoint them. And, so you and, did whatever. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Steve. You, you did whatever you could do to not disappoint them. You know, I would rather have them screaming and yelling and cursing at me than to actually say, you know what, I'm disappointed. And I and I think that that's a really you know that that is such a powerful conversation is because you know you wonder how much of that mindset has changed from yesterday to today. And, you know, where guys own and take and hold themselves accountable and hold each other accountable, I feel like some of that's starting to slip away a little bit, and I get nervous about that, and that scares me because then that changes the face of the job. And so for you coming up through that company, you had accountability all day long. Your first tour, six fires, going to work at four of them. Man, you're not 
you're not hooking right. You're not in position correctly. You're not moving fast enough, right? You fumble your face piece, even if you wore it, right? Like all those <laughs> things, right? Like you had to be in tune with, with your position. And those guys that you're riding with are going to hold you 100% accountable for it. Yeah, and they were, they were um, again, in a, in a world today, I don't know where I got it from, but don't berate me, educate me. Yes. Uh, and and they were they were gentlemen in, in, in the way that they were able to pass on their knowledge. Hey kid, try this. Hey kid, try that. You know, a quick a quick story. I, I use it a, I use it a lot. Is that um, you know whenever it was, uh, you know you never give up your tool, Jeremy. Right. That's it, right. It's yours. And and um, we were in a fire, top floor fire, and uh, one of the one of the senior guys was testing me. And uh, hey Steve, give me your hook for a minute. I just want to pull something. And I handed him my hook, and he threw it out the window. And, oh, and, I, and I had to walk all the way, and I had to walk all the way down into the backyard, the rear yard, and get it, and walk back up again. And but that taught me to never give up my tool, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I, I learned from making mistakes. I think mistakes are good things. And uh, you know, if I, you're not trying hard enough, uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Sometimes I agree with you 100. percent I think that mistakes are all part of the process, right? And you know, the only way you're going to get better is when you know you're deficient at something and you can recognize that, take ownership of it, and then push yourself to overcome it. Exactly. Yeah. So the accountability these guys held for you, then that stuck with you throughout your career because as you as you rode in Squad 41, I think you said you were there for how many how many years? Thirteen years. Thirteen years in a squad company. And then, yeah. and then you decide that you wanted to read some books and, and further educate yourself to uh, move well, up the that's line. Not exactly, that's not exactly how it went. But uh, <clears throat> I, when I got on, you know, like I said, the only thing I ever wanted to do was be a New York City fireman. And, right. and uh, my dad's best friend, I call him my uncle, he passed away uh, about two years ago. Uh, but he retired a battalion chief. And, you know, I wanted to do, when I got on the job at, 30, at 27, I wanted to do 35 years and retire a battalion chief. Um, but it took me three times to pass the lieutenant's test. So wow. that, okay. that's as far as I was going to go. Yeah. So I'm not much of a student. I'm much more of a hands-on learner. Um, you know, uh, we, you and I were talking about college earlier on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I went back to co- I failed out, you know, right out of high school. Um, but I went back and, and got my associates later on and, just finished my bachelor's a little while ago and good for you um, but you know it's it's uh it's it's easier for me to do now as an adult for that learning but i was a hands-on guy you know i had a you had to show me how to do it you know and again i had the opportunity they drilled all the time you know and you know a simple little conversation at the kitchen table turned out to be a two-hour drill sometimes you know yeah 100 percent i i think yeah go ahead the atmosphere there was amazing. Well, it was conducive to learning, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's there. People learn all different ways. And I think what's really interesting is, and what we can't lose sight of, is that this job is a blue collar job. This job is mm-hmm. a dirty, bloody, sweaty job. And we can't lose sight of that. And as much as you need to read and study and promote that way on a, on a standardized test, what really matters as a boss, and please, I, I'd love your input on this, is how you connect and push forward the job and your people in your company when you get to that position. And that, I think, is where experience matters. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, it's the fire service. Your reputation gets there before you do. You yeah. know, uh, you know, if you really want to know something about a guy, you know, 
talk to the guys that, that they worked with, you know, and, um, you know, as far as being a boss and putting expectations on people, it was just, again, holding them accountable. If, if I don't tell you what it is that, that I'm, that I'm expecting from you, I can't get mad at you for not doing what it is that I didn't tell you. I love that. I love that. So, I'm all about, I'm all about, um, you know, the buy-in. Hey, this is what I expect. You know, are you willing to do that? Yes, you are. Okay. You know, I'm going to check up on you every once in a while. And if, you know, you're not doing what it is that I asked you, you know, there's going to be a consequence. It's really like, talk- you have kids. It's really like talking to your kids, you know? Yeah. If you don't do your homework, you're not going to be able to watch TV, you right. know? So if you, if you don't, you know, you just have to put it in a, in a different way, you know, speak to them like adults and, you know, these are my, these are my expectations. Are you willing to do that? And, um, you know, and hold people accountable. Were you ready to be a boss? Uh, I don't think you're ever ready to be a boss, but I, the, the way I feel about that is that, um, is that I think not, there's some people that are, that, uh, I would say cocky, mm-hmm. um, that think that they, deserve something but if you truly feel that you're not the best that you can be then you will constantly striving to get better yeah you know i could always be you know i had 15 years when i got promoted but i i didn't think i was ready to be a boss but you know but i learned did you enjoy it i did i did i did enjoy it and uh uh i missed i'm you know in in new york it's it's different where you're you're a supervisor when you become a boss right and you so you don't do anything anymore except supervise you know you're not allowed to force a door anymore you're not allowed to have the nozzle you can't pull ceilings no no tools no work you know jeremy they they cook for you they clean for you right they clean shit you know they clean my shitter for me you know they made my bed you know the men did everything and the men really ran the firehouse and you know, the value of the senior men in the firehouse and that tradition, which is another lost art. I uh, I think New York City did, did they, just from the people that I know and so on. Like when, when I, there's always that conversation about the senior man, but I think New York City is one of those fire departments that truly believe in that mantra of the senior man. They allow the senior man to flourish and the importance of that. And that's the relationship between, you know, the, the, the guys riding the back step to the senior man, to the officer, there's really that informal yet formal pecking order of how things operate and work. Yeah. If, if, uh, you know, if they, the men took care of it, they held the other firefighters accountable. Yeah. And if it was a real problem, then they'd bring it up to the office and then we try and figure it out. Yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Mickey's, Mickey's firehouse where he was a where he fifty nine truck where he got promoted out of the senior man there had over forty years on it. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, and he couldn't speak highly enough about him. You know, yeah. and and that's what I love. Like I love scrolling through social media and seeing the guys that are in a city and and guys are retiring. And you look at how many people come to that guy's last day, and you look at how they hoist them up on their shoulders, and they just love. Love yeah. the guy that speaks. You want to talk about legacy. You want to talk about leaving an impact on the job and how many people you, you know, you affect how many people you touch along your career that that many people show up to support you on your last day and to tell you, right. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you had that last day, right? I mean, 22, I 22 years. You had that last day. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of, kind of bittersweet, um, which are kind of lead into, you know, the other part that yeah, we wanted. Right. So I felt like I couldn't do the job anymore. Um, I felt like I was really uh, beat up physically, emotionally, psychologically. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, I had the opportunity. You know, I survived. Uh, you know, which an old timer told me, if you, you know, anytime you stay past twenty, you're cheating the odds. Mm. But I went to a, I went to a lot of things. Yeah. You know, we see a lot of things from the time I was a 17-year-old volunteer, you know, but I went through a couple of really bad fires, and that affected me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in addition to September 11th, where sure. I lost six guys from my firehouse. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> but I, I got, I was, uh, I didn't feel I can do it anymore. And I, the, the biggest thing for me, and holding myself accountable and what I was taught from all the other guys that I learned from, is it's... I wouldn't be comfortable if something, if if somebody got in trouble and I wasn't a hundred percent and wasn't able to get them help, yeah, and they they got seriously injured or died, or because I wasn't a hundred percent, I put myself in a position where somebody had to come and help me, and they were either seriously injured or died because of me, I I wouldn't be able to live with myself, and I wasn't a hundred percent anymore, and. and I had my time and I had the opportunity to go do something else. And I, and I had to take, I miss it every day, Jeremy. Oh, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you do. I'm sure. If I could still ride a fire truck, I a hundred percent would still be riding a fire truck, but I can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. Steve, let me, let me ask you this. Did you, did you recognize that or did you recognize that by yourself or did you find it through some of your actions or things that were happening around you? to have that moment where you said, man, I don't, I don't know if this is for me anymore. I mean, I, I, I wonder what that, that, because I think a lot of people that listen to this and where we're headed with this conversation is what you've come from your own career is you've come to understand the importance of taking care of yourself and taking care of others. And in, in, especially in regards to mental health. And so what you're really alluding to is, is your own mental health on the job and off the job. And so did you have that moment where you were like, man, I don't, I don't think I'm dialed in anymore. I don't think this I can do what you just said to protect yourself and to protect others when called upon and all those things. Were you able to recognize that yourself or did it take a situation or somebody to point it out to you or did you feel you were just falling down on those? Like, how, what did that look like? I, I think at different times it was different things. Yeah. You know, if I, if I go back to the first time, it was, you know, maybe a... Uh, uh, a couple months after September 11th where, you know, guys in a firehouse trying to take care of each other, you know, Hey, you really should go talk to somebody. Hey, you really should do this. And what was, what was a savior for me with that? Is it, um, without getting into the whole story, sure. the, the FDNY counseling unit had only five people on September 11th, you know, now they have five different locations Yeah. and they didn't have enough counselors. So our, and our firehouse was in the middle of nowhere. You know, the only, um, uh, you know, it wasn't in Midtown. It wasn't in Manhattan where a lot of the other guys were killed. We were in outer borough, um, and they assigned us a counselor. And luckily enough, Dr. Paul, um, who had worked with uh, Vietnam vets, you know, he was very smart about what he did. He would come in and introduce himself and sat around and did nothing. And nobody would really talk to him, you know, because guys are afraid to talk. Yeah. You know, we're tough guys and suck it up, kids. We don't talk about that stuff. But what started happening was is that 
uh, when Dr. Paul would leave, uh, somebody would escort him out to let him out of the parking lot, and it turned into parking lot therapy. Yeah, wow. And where, where a guy was able to go outside for 45 minutes without anybody else and talk to Dr. Paul. And uh, I wound up seeing Dr. Paul for years, um, and he saved my life, you know, uh, therapy and medication. And um, I think that's the first part. When somebody in the firehouse first said, hey, I think you really should go talk to somebody. Um, but as the years went on, you know, my wife has said it to me numerous times, you know, where she's, you know, uh, if you don't do something, you know, I might not be here when you come back, you know. And yeah. just recently with, with retiring completely, understanding how much I gave of myself to the fire department sure. and, and didn't give to my family as much as I should have. I, yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, that's to, to reflect on that. Right. I mean, I, uh, you think about how, how much we, you know, people that are into this job are, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle, right? It, 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 can, it, it, it consumes us. Right. And it's like you, you go on vacation with your family and you're, you hear a siren, you look the other way, you know, you walk past the firehouse, you peek in the window, right? Like all these things, right. It never leaves us. And so it, it does, does, it does interfere with our family and our families. You know, we talk a lot about that, you know, like, oh, we thank our families for putting up with us and this and that. But like in the real conversation, they truly do. And, and the accountability that they hold, it can go two ways. You know, you can become disconnected from your loved ones and they give up on you and they, they begin yeah. to resent you and they pull away and you pull away and it falls apart or, it goes the other way that they go, hey, we don't like who you're becoming and we need you back, right? Talk to me a little bit about all of this because I know with your program that you're doing now and talking about mental health, a lot of it has to do with your firsthand personal experiences on the job and what and the struggles that you've dealt with and the, and the hardship that you've gone through. But that family part where you, I mean, you just saying that and recognizing that after retiring for your second time from the job. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I missed uh, and and I I I hate to say it, you know, I wasn't good at balancing. Yeah, most and, of us um, aren't, I, Steve. Most of yeah. us aren't. Yeah. I had um, uh, I had my son uh, late in life. I was forty. My wife and I were both forty when he was born, and uh, and I missed the whole first couple of years of his life because yeah. I was just so so checked out, and um, you know, that was part of moving down to South Carolina, is um moving down here and I have a tremendous relationship with my son now. It's, it's absolutely amazing, but yeah. it took some, some hard things to be able to, you know, um, leaving the job, you know, moving down from South Carolina, leaving the family. Uh, I lived down here for eight months by myself before my family moved down. Um, there's just so many different factors. And one of, one of those things is, which is what got me into, I never really knew how bad I was. Jeremy until I actually retired and moved, removed myself from the FDNY. From the environment, yeah. Yeah, and when because when you're in that environment, you're just you're still around it. And and I and I came down here and and I, you know like I said, I was living by myself, and I stopped going to therapy and I stopped taking my medicine, and I wound up, uh, you know, falling into a hole again. Yeah. And I I reached out. There's an organization down here called the Low Country Firefighter Support Team. It was started the day after the Charleston Nine, okay. and I got hooked up with them, an amazing organization. And I found out what 
like my next part of my life is. You know, I become a peer counselor, and I'm hoping to go for my master's in, in uh, counseling and to hopefully specialize with first responders and stuff because um, I feel that this is super, super important um, for us in so many different ways. Do you are, – are you one of those guys that believes things happen for a reason? Curious. I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people say that, and I wish it. I wish it didn't. Yeah. Jeremy, because you know it. But what I, what I do believe it is that, um, um, I believe in. I don't know how to how to explain this. Yeah, maybe maybe I do. Maybe the reason for me to retire was to come down here and to realize that that's what I was supposed to do. But. I would have liked to have realized that up in New York sure. and have been able to do that more with the people in New York sure. than just doing it with the people down here. Sure. Um, because uh, I think it's, it is such a, it's a topic that, you know, I mean, I could, you and I can talk all day about cutting roofs and forcing doors and yeah. VES and, you know, the senior man and, and all that, you know, but there's a topic that we're not, we're not talking about because we're afraid to talk about it. Uh, and I think that if, you know, if you, somebody that you respect, and this is how I try and get out to other people, is that there's somebody that feels exactly the same way as you sitting at that table, but they're afraid to talk about it. That's right. And if, and if there's that senior man across the table from you, they can start that conversation and then everybody else goes, hey, if so-and-so is doing it, then maybe it's okay. That's right. You know, because the fire service is, is so, you know, reputation and 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 trust and experience and respect, you know. And if there's a guy that, that can be out there and say, hey, you know, smarten up. This is what's going on. You need to go talk to somebody, you know, then, then that conversation has started. You uh, know, and I believe it starts with peers. I mean, think, you know, yeah. I mean, think about how powerful it is that 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 guy we talked about before that they hoist up on their shoulders after forty years on the job. Imagine that guy and the stick he carries and swings, right? And if he yeah, says, absolutely. and if he says, you know, listen, man, you know, I've been I've been seeing somebody talking about my issues. I'm dealing I'm dealing through it. It makes it so real coming from such a powerful guy, right? Yeah. Somebody that that yields that big stick that anybody junior to him is going to go. Okay, like we're yeah. all we're we're all dealing with it, young and old, salty and not so, like everything in between, right? And I I think that's what's really powerful. I do think though, Steve, and I'd I'd love to get your take on this because I know you you speak on this topic now, and you know it comes from a place of passion because, frankly, you know, uh, understanding mental health in your own position has helped you, right? I mean, it's it's really allowed you to pick up and, and, and build that strong relationship again and and build that love and trust again. Right. And all that. Right. So, absolutely, yeah. And, and so I think we are talking about it more than ever though. No, I think, I think we are, um, you know, and, and try not to get down the rabbit hole. What a lot, you know, what I talk about very specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, is my story. Yeah, because uh, we we all have a story, Jeremy. You've been 100%. on many calls where you've seen, you know, the things that we see, you know, and yep. you know, seventeen-year-old kids, volunteer firemen, or even juniors, you know, aren't supposed to see some of the things that we see. Sometimes none, none of us need to. I don't care how old you are. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, but I agree. Yes, I it it got to a point where I I 
um, it just popped into my head. You know, before I got promoted, we had gone to a crane collapse in Manhattan, and it was it was pretty ugly. Uh, the crane operator was actually like cut right down at the center of his chest, and you know, and the boss at the time, um, Sean Genovese was my lieutenant. Yeah. You know, he gave me an assignment. He told me later on, he gave me an assignment to go do something because he knew that I really didn't have to look at all that stuff anymore. Yep. You know, and for him to realize that too and to give me assignment to go do something, I don't need to look at that stuff anymore, Jeremy. I, I, my box with you. is full. You know, my head is so full of images uh, of things. And again, it, you know, my story is from a, a fatal car accident on a New Jersey turnpike at 17 years old you know, right up to everything else, even stuff that's happened, you know, since I retired down here. But, you know, losing six guys from your firehouse, you know, anybody on the job who was on the job during September 11th went through an unbelievable time. Sure. Um, but I was at the Black Sunday fire. Yeah. You know, I I watched, you know, I watched uh, Jeff Cool fell right right in front of me, mm. you know, Um uh, <laughs> A year, a year and a half after that, I went to another fire where a lieutenant and a probie died. You know, um, a year after that, I went to another fire, the Deutsche Bank fire, where two more firemen died. In less than three years, I went to three fires where there were six firefighter fatalities. You know, and that starts to wear on you after a while. In addition to, you know, the amputated leg, you know, the dead baby, you know, all that other stuff. There, There isn't enough space in, in our heads, Jeremy, to... So to keep all that stuff in there, you're right, and it starts to overflow. And the only way that you can stop it from overflowing is to talk about it. And when you talk about it, it it empties it empties your head. And but the hard part is talking about it. It's the hardest thing is taking that first step and being able to talk about what's going on inside your head. But when you do talk to somebody, it's like yeah, yeah, I did too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, you realize that. You know, we're all going through it. The the parking lot therapy, right? I mean, that was that was the that was the the door opening probably for you and most of the guys in your company. I would assume, right? After nine eleven and all that. And the guys in the company, mm -hmm. absolutely. And and even for you, right? So, like, you know, I I look at that and you you think about that. What what is that like when you can get some of that out of you? I mean, is there just because? I know, listen, I know there's going to be people listening to this that, that are, are really drowning inside with emotion and they don't know how to let it out or they don't know who to talk to. Maybe talking about what that sense of that feeling was for you when you were able to finally start getting some of this out. Did you feel a sense of normalcy and relief come, come back across? Like, explain that to me a little bit. There's a, there's a slide in, in my presentation where... You know, you don't know the weight of something until until you don't have to carry it anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, oh, God, I can't believe I carried that around for so long. You know, people use the analogy, you know, you have a, uh, a cup of water that's half full. You know, it's not heavy, but if you carry the longer and longer and longer you carry that half cup full of water, you know, the, tire, the more tired your arm is going to be. And it's going to be more difficult to, to carry that. You know, and uh, it's an amazing one of the first therapies I did was emergent therapy where I had to tell um, I had to tell the story of the Black Sunday fire, my experience of it over and over and over again. And it was tough 
you know, until the point where after, you know, telling the story, you know, they rated it starts at 100 where I was 100 plus and, you know, going through therapy a couple more times, it got into single digits. And now that's why I'm so passionate about talking about all these things, Jeremy, because it helps me. Yeah. You know, all these things that I got inside my head that I saw that I witnessed that I did, you know, that I felt. Um, if I can keep those things out of my head by talking about it, it's it's less of a burden for me. But again, the hardest part is for guys like us to start the conversation. Yes. Film. Do you do, was there a level of of I don't I don't know. What, what, it, you love the job, like you always wanted to be a New York City fireman, and you worked in incredible companies, and you have a in, it, just a, a pedigree a mile long of accomplishments. Do you feel that any of that gets tarnished? Not God, I'm trying to find the right way to say this, Steve. Like I, I feel like, do you have any resentment towards the job or the industry, if you will, of firefighting because of the struggles that you've had? I don't, I don't think, I don't have any resentments towards the job at all. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love it and I love everything about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I would have learned earlier on to be able to balance a How little did, bit more. Yeah. 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 You know, but, um, you know, but the counseling unit for, you know, totally overwhelmed, you know, but they gave me the resources now to be able to get better. You know, Dr. Paul, who was assigned to our firehouse, saved my life. I saw him. For years, Jeremy, and it wasn't just about yeah. September 11th, sure. you know, and uh, <clears throat> um, but as, that's the thing is that a lot of people don't know what their resources are. And I think that's what the down here, you know, um, there is an organization that that, you know, and it's becoming more and more, more and more easier to talk about now where, you know, there are more resources. There's a uh, uh, there's an inpatient program. It's in Deerfield Beach. Florida. It's called Shatterproof. Um, it's for uh, police, fire, first responders, uh, military. You know, in, within the last year, I've had probably close to 10 friends go into treatment wow. uh, and have been able to change their lives because of, you know, because of the resources that were available to them. And I think that's the thing is just, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of resources. Well, I don't want to say there's not a lot of resources. I don't think that people are aware what the resources are. I, I think that's a very accurate statement, and I think we all have a bigger duty to let everyone know what avenues of support are out there and where they can find it whenever they need it. And I and I think that that's the most important thing. And I think the other thing we need to do is really drop the let your guard down. You know, open the walls, put your walls down. And and be willing and able to understand that you can't handle it alone. You cannot. Yeah, there's a there's a stigma to it. There really yeah. is. Yeah. You know? We need to. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, people get to a point where they feel like they can't handle it anymore, and that's when they do the ultimate thing and suicide. Is they feel like that that's their only out. Yeah, and I didn't understand either, and um, until I spoke, you know, Rob, uh, who who works on National Fire Radio too, he he's big into the mental health aspects also, and I never really understood that people that struggle like that are in pain, they're in pain, and and the only way to they feel that the only way to eliminate their pain 
is by doing something unspeakable, you know, and, yeah. and instead of, instead of trying to, they just, they're suffering from pain. If you think about somebody that's in pain, physical pain, they'll do anything they can to alleviate that pain. And when somebody's yep. struggling mentally and they're in a bad place, they feel this tremendous wash of pain that comes that they, that they struggle with and that, and they're just looking for relief from that pain. And I never really, I never really understood that until we started really diving into topics like this. And today has been, you know, just uh, really emotional for me talking with you. I mean, it's incredible how you're willing to share your story. And and when I asked you if you think everything happens for a reason, it wasn't because I would ever want anybody to go through the tragedy and see the things that you've done. But you chose that career and that line and that path. And unfortunately, tragedy is along that that train, right? And so. What you do with that, though, is recognizing that you can pay that forward. And I think that's got to be really important to you, no? Absolutely. And, that's, and, and, and I learned that before the mental health side of it. That's what I learned. You know, I mentioned it earlier when I was, had the opportunity to go to 41 and learn from these experienced yes. guys. And what they passed on, because we, we didn't make this shit up, you know. You know, somebody, you know, again, again, we could talk about it for hours, but... You know, I call it old school, new school. You know, I learned from the guys that actually did it. Yeah. You know, and years later we had, you know, we had all these studies in NIST and UL, and they were able to bring the cameras and the thermometers and the temperature, you know, and and they told us exactly what we already knew, but we actually show it on a video now, you know, so. Yeah, it, I love that. It's a good, very good it, point. And, and again, it's, a, you know, these are the, we didn't, so we didn't make this stuff up. So somebody, somebody passed it down along the lines. And, you know, again, it started with the firematic stuff. And now I feel like, you know, I've been out of the game for such a long time. I really can't talk tactics and stuff with people. Things have changed, you know, but what I can do is talk about my personal experiences with, with my mental health. And hopefully um, I can help somebody go get some help. Is that part of your healing process? Absolutely. That's part. That's one of the biggest things. Again, I'll talk to anybody that will want to listen, um, because for me, again, talking about it and getting getting out of this this box, uh, my head that's you know that's full filled with these things that I've seen and done and smells and and triggers and everything. Sure. You know, if I empty them out of my box by speaking about them, you know that helps me. I'm able to release the weight of all those things. Yeah, I, I, it's such a powerful message, Steve. So what? So you put together now, you have a program that you like to go out and, and teach and instruct, if you will, or share. Maybe it's not even teaching and instructing. It's more about sharing your personal stories and experiences to, to help the next generation, if you will. Yeah, it's uh, I call it surviving the job. Um, and uh, I started out with, from the time I became a, you know, 17-year-old volunteer, like I said earlier, the first fatal accident that I witnessed on, on a New Jersey turnpike. Yeah. And uh, it goes all the way to the end of my career because it doesn't, it, it doesn't end, you know. Um, um, and it's not necessarily the trauma of the fire service. You know, I was, uh, um, uh, I was notified of a job in North Charleston from a, a really good friend of mine uh, who kind of pushed me in the direction to come down here. And a year after I was here, he died in a car accident. Oh, wow. You know, so, you know, the accident, and I, and I know that, 
I think I I listened to Rusty's uh, Rusty's uh, last night. Yeah. Rusty Rickers yep, last yep. night. You know, and we all have friends that have, you know, that have gone down a road, um, and taken their own life. You know, uh, but I kind of got off track there for for a minute. You're but okay. it's not. It it. The lecture is about my entire career and how I'm able to go beyond the post-traumatic stress part of it and to have growth out of that and to be able to get past uh, some of these things by speaking about it. And, you know, I, the, the only objective that I have when I, give, when I give that lecture is that if somebody in the audience is struggling, that they'll realize it and go talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, there's so much here, Steve. I mean, this has just been a very powerful conversation. Talk to me a little bit about the upside of the job, right? I mean, you know, this this is this got pretty heavy, right? So I'm just you, there's there's a tremendous amount of like I don't want people like pulling over on the side of the road right now when they're listening to this no, going like, oh my god, like you know. No, I don't. I don't want that either, Jeremy. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people don't. You know, I. I been through a lot of stuff a lot of people you know don't go through all those things and yeah it could be a great career because i think that the best thing about the fire service is the camaraderie and the brotherhood yes you know and you know you talk you talk to new people and uh, you know uh i ran the the charleston charleston area joint recruit school mm-hmm. um when i was in north charleston and, and uh, everybody outside of the charleston fire department that runs their own fire academy um they would send they would send uh, their recruits to us, and you know you ask a young uh, you know a young kid or even somebody that that has a change of career, you know why oh, I want to help people. Well, who do you want to help? I want to help the people out. That's really not what we do it for, right? You know where you know that whole there's that whole saying I'm not here for me, I'm here for we. Yep. And we are here for them, right? You know, because who who I want to help is the person next to me. You know, I want to be able to not be that that weak link um, as the team that we're a part of to yeah. be able to help those other those other people. And I've made some amazing friends. And I was just up in New York last week, and uh, I had to go for my annual World Trade Center physical. But gotcha. I stopped it. I stopped at uh, the firehouses, and um, you know, one firehouse. Uh, you know, out of eleven guys, I knew I knew two. Yeah. <laughs> even after seven years in the other firehouse, you know, I knew, I knew half the guys out of six, you know, I knew three out of six, but mm-hmm. you know, you talk stories and you, t- and you tell, you know, you remember when this happened and you know, the memories are great and we'll never have, you know, we made all those memories to be able to remember them. Right. You know, and I have so many great memories with so many people, you know, and the places that I worked with such special places and, you know, and we got to do a lot of fun stuff whether it was on the fire ground or whether it was, you know, outside, outside of the firehouse. But there's that bond there that, again, you said it earlier, you know, we all have the same friends because we're all like-minded people. Yeah. We attract, we attract one another. We do. And I, and I think, you know, that that's a fun follow-up to the, the last 48 minutes of this conversation, right? <laughs> is that, you know, as, as dark and as down as we can get, what is super powerful and can pick us right back up also Right. is not just not just taking care of ourselves on on our terms, but also picking each other up and being there for one another. And I think that, 
you know, we throw around that term brotherhood and camaraderie. We throw it all around, and everybody likes to think that, you know, we're brothers, we're brothers and sisters, blah, blah, blah. Do we actually act that way? Do we carry, you know, do we do we accurately represent what the values, the core values of brotherhood and and the and what the fire service is truly about? And I think that's that's a real conversation. And, you know, with all the struggle we talked about today in this episode, and every, you know, alley and, and dark alley you went down and so on, you came back. But I have to think a lot of it has to do with also your memories of the job and those that were with you during those times also. Yeah, absolutely. 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 It, it's, uh, um, you know, the good out, the good outweighs the bad, but you can't, um, you can't just push the bad aside though. So trying to get not to go down that, you know, yeah. again, great memories, being in guys' weddings, you know, yep. being at, yep. you know, uh, kids' birthdays and, and, you know, just the, the and, and I think that, that, like you said, the brotherhood part of it, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, somebody said that every, anybody can do this job. I, I truly don't believe that. I think it takes special type of people. I agree with you to do to do to do this job, and um, you know, with that comes, you know, uh, a certain type of person. And if you're not if you're not willing to give more, you know, more of yourself, you know, to to believe that you know the public is first, you know, um, we could go down a rabbit hole with that one, For Jeremy, sure. about safety on the fire ground. That, that's <laughs> You know, that's a whole other. That's another episode, brother. That is a whole other episode. Yeah. 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 I actually had a chief, I had a chief down here tell me once that, um, um, I would never, uh, I would never send, I would never send one of my firefighters to do a search for a stranger. I'm like, they're all fucking strangers. I don't even, I don't even understand what that means. I don't even, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, we only save the people that we know. (laughs) It it, it was pretty ridiculous. So, but. Well, I, you know, I, man, it, it is, uh, it's an interesting time in an interesting place, but I think the message today uh, from you, Steve, was very powerful. And I think that, um, you know, people are going to get a lot out of this episode. I think that, you know, your willingness to share your own struggles and, and what you've gone through, I think there were a lot of really powerful moments here that uh, will certainly touch a lot of people. Um, and I just, I thank you for putting that out there and your willingness to share your struggles and, and your personal struggles and the fact that you find some healing in getting the word out there and consistently talking about it only betters your position too, right? You're helping somebody while helping yourself. And I think that that's admirable, man. It's huge. Thanks. And so are you, you know, this, this, uh, this thing that you got going on here, pal, <laughs> it puts, it puts like-minded people together and it makes us realize that, you know, there are still people in the fire service, that feel the same way, you know, and as, and as, you know, uh, you know, with the fool saying, you know, fuck the mutts if I can say that. Yeah, you can you know, say it loud and proud, still, brother. Yeah, there's still some out there, but you know, but it's, there's a lot more of us, Jeremy, yes, than there are the people that that are employees of the fire department. And I think that's yeah. what's exciting, man. You know, if I can say, Steve, you know, I look at like as time goes, and as much as people want to naysay the job and how it's changed or this and that. I think now more than ever, we have people dialed in and they want more out of the job. And now more than ever, those mutts can't hide. 
We're not going to we, yep. we're not going to let them hide anymore and they're going to be called out and we're going to push them aside and push forward because nobody's going to derail, you know, the mission of what this job's the all mission about. Mission of what it is that we do. That's yep. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. I agree. Steve, what a what a great episode, brother. Thank you very very much. An hour goes by pretty damn quick, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And it I, does. Feel, I feel me, uh, I feel Brother, this is just the beginning of a, of a long friendship. I know it. Um, I can just feel it from the conversation. And truly looking forward to just shaking your hand and giving you a hug and uh, and saying hello face-to-face. Uh, we haven't been able to do that yet, so I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, this is – I opened the podcast talking about those circles of friends. And, you know, I was in one circle, you're in another, and now our circles intertwine, and now we, you know, we know each other, and now we, we create our own. And, um, and that's what this is all about. And, um, Steve, I just thank you for your time today and sharing something that's not probably not the easiest thing to still talk about, but you're doing a great job by doing that. And you're helping so many others talk about your class real quick. If somebody's interested in surviving the job, which is the class that you have out right now, um, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you if they're interested in hearing more or, or just chatting with you? Uh, I guess if they just want to email me, I'm not much of a marketing kind it's of fine. guy, Jeremy. No, but that's no worries. What's your What's the email, Steve? It's uh, it's smg nine three four zero at outlook dot com, and that's Stephen Michael Gillespie, SMG, and nine three four zero at outlook dot com. And uh, you know, uh, again, it, it's just that I um, I want to get that that message out. So. Well, I love it, and and that's why it was important to me to have you on today and to get to – I mean, one, it's a selfish endeavor for me because I get to, you know, meet incredible people, and you are now uh, a friend and brother that I can call a friend and brother because now we've had this opportunity, and it was fun uh, today, too, to really learn about you. And, you know, for for people to I, – I find I'm, I'm such a – I'm so honored to be able to sit back and be able to hear the stories of those that – are willing to come on this platform and trust me with their story. And for me, it's a, it's just being a steward of a powerful message or a conversation that might impact somebody along the line. And today I think is a very powerful message. And I think that the class that you have and what you're doing and your abilities to reach across the table and, and help our own is massive, Steve. So keep up the hard work, man. And thank you for everything that you do because you are making a difference, pal. Appreciate you. I do, you too, Jeremy. Thank you for allowing me to to, to be on the show. Right on. Uh, well, listen. Once you're being on, a company, oh. being a company of some great people. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody that's on here is great. I'll be honest with you. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious, man. Because you know, for me, man, the the list of people that have been on this show from the smallest towns to the biggest cities and everyone in between, everybody's got a story to share. Everybody and, has a story. And everybody's story can impact somewhere, someone somewhere. And so if one person gets something out of every episode we do, just one person, it's worth the struggle, man. It's worth the, it's worth the fight. So Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for joining me today. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast, and I'm going to get right back to you, pal. Okay. Thanks, cool. Jeremy. Yeah, no problem. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Steve Gillespie retired at a New York City Fire Department as well as North Charleston, South Carolina Fire Department. An incredibly powerful message today about the job, about your own mental health. And I think that this is a topic that needs to be talked about. And we mentioned it earlier, and I'm going to say it again. When we talk about the job, we make the job better. Go home, talk about this episode 
Look at yourself and realize that if you need some help or if you're struggling, there's plenty of uh, plenty of resources available to you, and we'll list some in the narrative below. But also, please know that you're not going at it alone. And to reach out across the table and to ask for help, everybody will be there. So thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. Check out uh, check out the website as well as if you have anything to say about the show, please go to podcast at nationalfireradio.com and send us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. And uh, Steve Gillespie, what a great guest today. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. 